Okay, so hello and welcome. It's uh, Yukiko Amaya from My Goddess Path. And I hope you're well. How are you? I just decided to do this live chat today, passion, respect, and abundance, getting your house in order, because it really feels like our house, our collective house, is in a huge disarray. So many things are shifting and changing. And so first of all, checking in to see how you are, how you are and um, taking the time actually to just stop, to take a pause. It's, um, it's so easy to get caught up in everything that's happening and feeling um, out of control and desperate. So just taking a moment to take a breath. And so I invite you to come into a place where you can really take a deep breath in, holding that inhale, and then as you exhale, releasing and letting go of tension that you might be carrying. And just like that, deep inhale in, holding it, and then exhaling out frustration. And I invite you to feel into your body, the earth. The more there is turbulence outside, the more it's going to be important for us to know how to ground and very quickly so that we can do it on the move, as it were. So I invite you to just drop your weight towards earth and really letting go of your body weight towards earth. And with each exhale, feeling your energy moving down into the earth, connecting with her, with Mother Earth, going down deeper, and really as if you could, connecting down, down, down into the magma heart of Mother Earth. And then just simply breathing with her. And when you are ready to slowly come back up, drawing with you the Mother Earth fire, moving back all the way up through your body and into your heart center. And then with your next inhale, feeling your intention, attention moving up skyward. 
moving out into the cosmos with each inhale and really going out towards your mother star as if you know where that is, she knows, and being drawn into her embrace as you travel through outer space past all the other stars and galaxies and then diving into her fiery arms going into the center of her star fire and breathing with her there Beautiful, and as you're ready, coming back in, drawing that star fire back down through outer space, through the cosmic energy, all the way back to Mother Earth, coming back in through the atmosphere, through the top of your head, and back into your body. I'm feeling the star fire, earth fire, and your soul fire coming together as you ground. Welcome. And before I start, I also want to acknowledge the, the land that, that I am on. I'm on the traditional lands of the Manahawk people of the Monacan Confederacy, the Sioux Nation. And I really thank all the ancestors of this land for all the beauty and energy that it is giving me and that I hope I can also give back. And calling in the great lady of Avalon and Morgan Titus, the maiden goddess of this time, as we are on the threshold time of Imbolc, moving towards the spring equinox. Feeling that energy of the phoenix rising from her ashes, the beautiful white swan, the powerful wolf, the energy of the serpents rising up out of the earth. The great white cow mother of nurturing. The unicorns of innocence. Feeling all of these energies coming alive within you and also around you, sensing. And we ask her guidance and to accompany us through our journey today and every day for each one of us and also for all of those who are in need of her energy and support today. So you know the, the order of the world 
is changing very, very rapidly around us. Socially, economically, politically, culturally. And the speed is accelerating. It's been a very chaotic time. And many of you are most probably sensing how chaotic it is and trying to find ways to establish some sort of stability within the chaos, within your own life. And, you know, we'll be looking at all of that today as we go along. And if you're here with us, you know, I invite you to, to say hello and post questions or comments anytime, okay, that they arise. I invite you to do that so that it can be um, as much a conversation as we can have in this format. You know, the, when Russia invaded Ukraine, troubled and it troubles me incredibly. So I'm watching the news and seeing how this is all playing out. And at the same time, it's this, it's like David and Goliath in a way, this small nation standing up to fight against sort of like the, the symbol of what's gone wrong with patriarchy, you know, of this one man, Putin, who has amassed so much power with so much greed. And many of the people, the normal people in Russia, you know, are, are, are also suffering. And so watching this unfold that at this moment, that it's like the symbol of patriarchy is so fearful of losing control that it's grabbing on. And, you know, it's, 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 it's just one of the things that's coming up during this, the, the, these times. There is a great awakening happening. Um, more and more of us, I feel, are being called to really examine what it is that we actually really want to see and, and manifest out into the world. And these past few years with COVID, many of the cracks have appeared, right, in, in terms of what happens when we're squeezed into fear. Um, these different things started to come up, some of them activated by fear, a great deal of, of separation and struggle. And at the same time, there were the, the, uh, the wonderful movements that came up out of the struggle, out of the, the, the oppression, you know, like Black Lives Matter, and um, looking at inclusivity, talking about it, starting to in different ways. And it's, it's, a, it's an amazing time, I feel, to really start to look at all of the things that, yes, that is not going well with the world, 
with the, the, the breaking down of an old order as we know it. And we still don't know yet what the new order is. And so we're kind of betwixt and between where somebody said in a liminal time, we are in this threshold time. And it's a very, um, it can be a very frightening time. As we all know from our personal experiences, right? Many of us, as we go along in life, start to understand that there are many things in life that we cannot control and that part of life's journey might not be so much about controlling as much as really expanding and opening our consciousness and awareness. You know, sometimes the, 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 the biggest challenges are when we are broken open in a way. You know, one of those challenges that I had was, was the time when um, my father was dying. And um, I didn't realize until he was dying that he was the parent that I felt closer to. And I panicked, you know, and, um, and the pain was so great um, and I didn't know what to do. And it was in that moment with so much pain, I was driving in Tokyo and I couldn't drive anymore. I, I had just come back from hospital and I remember pulling my car over and um, just breaking down and sobbing and I felt like I was dying. And in that moment, suddenly, and this had never, you know, had, hadn't happened in that way before. Um, I was not doing any spiritual practices at the time. This was when I was in my early 30s. And suddenly I saw this snowscape and a forest in the distance in my mind's eye, but it felt like I was really there. And I was so grief stricken with my father's health going downhill and understanding that he was on his way out. Um, I had no more logical firepower to combat <laughs> what I was seeing. And so I just let myself be taken. And out of the forest came this enormous she-wolf. And she came towards me and I thought, oh, I see, I am going to now die. I'm going to be killed by this she-wolf. And I had no idea where I was or what was happening. But she came up to me and she was enormous and she wrapped me with her body and brought me towards one of her teats and, and I suckled on her. And she was so warm and so comforting. And in that moment, I felt held by something other than just my will or my, my, my need to have things a certain way. It was beyond my control. And something happened, something opened. And it was the beginning of my own journey into connection with energy, into connection with other world, 
um, into connection with the spiritual energetic dimension. Some might say the esoteric dimension, but the dimension of the unseen, which is right there along with us. So even though things are so chaotic right now, it really feels also that it's at the, we're, we're at the beginning of something, you know, something keeps on moving back and forth. It's like spring, right? When, you know, you think spring is here and then it's winter and then spring comes and winter. There's this movement. Yeah, that something is moving along. I don't know if you feel that energy as well. Um, let me know what your experiences might be. This new moon, and we're still in this new moon energy, very powerful energy that was yesterday. It's a new moon in Pisces. And there is a sense of um, this very powerful opening where a new order is starting to come in, but it's a very chaotic thing. We don't know where we're going. And at the same time, there is a sense that a great deal of energy is behind us. It's like the wind in our sails to move away from the existing order of things, the existing order of, of this hierarchical pyramid structure of authority at the top and everything, you know, is a trickle down into claiming our own authority and what that might mean, you know, that it's different from an ego-based authority that we've learned um, as authority, that it has something to do with leadership and with responsibility, with love, with inclusivity, um, with respect, and coming from a place of abundance instead of scarcity which is so closely tied in with fear, which is how we've been managed in a way for so many years, eons, around 5,000 years <laughs> um, of patriarchy. But many of us are taught to compete, right? You know, you need to, to compete to secure yourself, your position in the society, Secure yourself with the best uh, partner, with the best job, with the best schools, with the so you can get to the top, meaning you don't want to be left on the bottom. And compassion is seemingly only taught as sort of like an afterthought of yes, and if you want to be a good member, then you should feel sorry for the the, the less well. Um, taken care of and do a charitable thing. But there is still this top-down kind of feeling, you know? And we've all been educated into that way of thinking and feeling. And it's going to take a great deal of effort and will to break out of that. And so, first of all, 
I feel that it's really important to be able to look at what our own internalized belief systems are. Maybe not the ones that we uh, hold up, you know, but something that is really deeply internalized within us because it was part of the culture, of the family, of the school, of the society um, that we grew up in that it's almost invisible. And that's why when there is turbulence out in society, it's it's such a good, good way of being able to look at where we're at, um, how our own reactions are, what we're feeling. And instead of pointing the finger, because it's so easy, because that's what we're also encouraged to do, you know, find the scapegoat, find the enemy. To really looking at what within me is constricting, is making, making the way that, that I contribute to the world less life-affirming than what I would like it to be, right? How am I contributing in everyday life to upholding this way of seeing the other as a competitor, as an enemy, um, and it's just for me. You know, no one's going to fight for me, so I, I have to fight for myself. Um, there's something broken. We know that it's broken in this way of being because we look at climate, um, the climate crisis that we have created. Um, you know, we, we look at how the healthcare systems are not functioning. And we look at, you know, all of these things, the, the, the poverty, the everything around us, and we know that whatever system that we grew up in isn't really functioning. It's not really working. But looking at our own bias is, I feel, the first place to start. And then thinking about, you know, what does inclusivity mean? I had to really look at that within myself when Black Lives Matter came up. You know, looking at myself as a non-white person who actually, you know, lived a great deal with mostly um, racially white communities. I worked mostly within that environment, also with the Japanese environment. I also tended to gravitate towards power. So I, I would work with men, I would, you know, and, and I learned how to be able to present myself in such a way so that I could be accepted as one of whatever group I was trying to belong to. To really look at that within myself and understanding where that came from and then starting to undo that, right? It started out because I saw my parents quite young, my mother and my father, and I saw in my own way 
that my father seemed to have more choices than my mother, who was a housewife. And, um, and I unconsciously, in the beginning and unconsciously, later on as a teenager, chose my father as the role model of who I wanted to be. I wanted to have freedom. I wanted to be able to choose. I wanted to be able to not ask for permission to do things, to buy things, to go where I wanted to go. So it came out of that, you know, and I am now seeing how that may have really clouded and also inspired certain decisions that I made and wanting to really go into a different place. Nicholas is saying, are some countries or societies doing better? I don't really know, Nicholas. You know, if you have an example of where you feel <clears throat> might be doing better, um, I would love to know because it feels like, and from what I've read and studied so far about different societies, most of the world is under patriarchy. And... Um, there are very, very few matriarchal societies left, um, some indigenous groups, but surrounded by patriarchy or um, affected by patriarchy. You prefer the small-scale community like the New York City dance community? Yes, so that, that smaller communities can create um, I think it was Noam Chomsky who said once that when a society grows beyond a certain size, that you don't really know each other's names anymore. It becomes very difficult um, to govern in a fair way and that power tends to take over. But there seems to have been, when we go back into archaeology, different um, societies that had earth mother um, or the goddess. And, and here I'm using goddess not as, as a replacement for God because it's a very different concept, the sky gods that we have with our major religions right now to the earth-based spirituality of honoring the mother, honoring the earth. And they seem to have been very egalitarian communities. And some of them were, were, you know, bigger than, than a few hundred, they were a um, few thousand, you know, some of them even a bit bigger. And it seems to have been much more of a cooperative community. So there was a sense of communal existence as opposed to a hierarchical one um, where everybody was uh, connected to be able to live and survive and grow together. And so each other's well-being was, um, was really important. It wasn't just your own well-being because everything and everyone was interconnected. And it seems to have been much more when these were communities of, of hunter-gatherers. And we know that hunter-gatherers also were able to create um, pretty stable 
villages. Even, you know, so that they were, they were able to, to do the hunting and the gathering um, without always being in nomadic existence. And there were communities that seems to have been very, very well maintained in a peaceful way. But moving forward, it's about how can we learn from these past examples, but bring forth and to create something that is in alignment with where we are now. And I don't have the answer to that, but I really do feel that one of the most important things would be to come back into what I call circular consciousness. And circular consciousness, there, there are different you know, experimental communities that have tried to, to manage this, like through, like the Ojai Foundation, they try to govern everything by sitting in circle uh, using the council method, which was learned from the Native American communities. And it requires to have everybody be the same and to be seated in a circle so that you can understand how to govern within the community or how to be in relationship with the environment, it really requires what um, I call active listening. Active listening so that the capacity to become quiet enough and not so caught up in who am I, what am I doing, how will I look, you know, this, as one of my teachers, shamanic teachers used to say, the what about me syndrome, um, to be able to get out of that and to have the spaciousness to be able to listen to what's being said and to receive it. So this place of coming down from the head into the heart coming down from the head into the intelligence of the body, you know? And Sherry, oh, Nicholas says, I love to study utopian experimental communities, but so many fail with time. Yes, and Sherry, hi, Sherry. I live in Venice, the part of LA where more homeless have gathered than anywhere else in the city. The filth, the drug addiction, the mental illness, the flaunting of laws are in my world daily. There are fires set accidentally or intentionally almost weekly. There are attacks on pedestrians. We haven't the social structures to deal with it. It's a tragic and dangerous situation. Yes, I agree. It's like the fallout when we have this way of the top down. There's a fallout at the bottom. And um, somehow the place of caring within the community, within the family or the community structures, you know, are no longer functioning. It's, and we try to look to government to, you know, you govern, we're going to pay you taxes, so you take care of this. But somehow, something in this whole structure is missing. And, um, and again, it's not like I have the answer, but I really feel that a fundamental shift in the point of view is, is really, really needed, you know? 
what is, I was listening to a radio show today about the moral compass and how we have not truly understood how human morality functions. And I was really thinking about that because in Japan growing up, they had a, a class at school. We had a morality class. I don't know if you have those in the United States in, in schools. Um, let me know, you know, what your experience was. But um, in Japan, so they, they would teach morality because Japan is very much of a group consciousness society. Um, but it's a group consciousness society with a hierarchy, you know, so it's a very tricky situation. Um, and it can be very, very, um, very difficult as well to maneuver within that. It doesn't give you any breathing space as an individual. So there is, you know, where is the respect? The respect is, is not fluid within the Japanese social structure. The respect is much more of a hierarchically ordained thing. Um, and what Sherry says, it is pretty hard for individuals in the community to deal with the bipolarity when people have access to unlimited illegal drugs. Yes, there is that. But then we go back to, to you know, why is that situation there? And I remember, uh, Sherry, when I was working with the, um, the homeless way back in the uh, early 90s and in, in Venice and also in downtown LA, in Skid Row, and working with people who had been uh, admitted into the mental health care facilities. And um, my then husband and I were made, you know, trying to make a documentary about what was going on because it was so heartbreaking and just felt like this vicious cycle. You know, how do we take care of mental illness? Because it's true, many of the people who are out, who are homeless for a long, prolonged period of time, usually are dealing with um, severe mental illness, bipolarity, schizophrenia, um, you know, they are really in need of, of care. And how can we offer that, you know, as a society? Where can we start to rearrange our um, own capacity as humans to look at society? in a way that that is able to be inclusive without you know it's 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 uh, it, again it's these are all questions you know that I mean how how do we do that to be inclusive to be compassionate and at the same time to understand um how safety can be had and um for our own selves and for those of us on the receiving end of, of mental illness or of dire poverty, you know, that means that um, people will 
will revolt and will steal. And there is a situation of dire poverty and the separation of the haves and have-nots have that are happening before our eyes. And, you know, I, I don't feel like the, the, the structures that we have in place or the way that we see things have the capacity or the resilience enough to shift, to include all of these problems that we are facing. What's really great is that because of these pressures, there are certain groups of people who are, who are trying to, to think and come up with new ideas of ways to to work with these challenges. And, um, you know, how do we support that? And because of, of who I am, I guess, and, and, and how, how I wish to face life, um, I always come back to, to looking at what are the ways in which I can ground myself enough so that I can be um, be the energetic influence within the sphere that that I come into contact with, whether it's you know in in um, doing rituals, I do a lot of rituals because I really believe that rituals have the capacity to change um, the rhythm of society, the rhythm of how people feel and think. And um, I believe that there was a study that was done um, by a meditation group where they checked the number of crimes that were committed in one area. Um, and then a bunch of people moved in there and started to meditate on a daily basis. And I forget how long it was, but I think it was, you know, within, within a few months, the crime rate dropped. So there is the thing about energy. To be able to, to extend your energetic field, because I truly believe, with from my experience, that we are not separate and, and, and alone. This was another uh, information that was given through our education that comes from a very Cartesian way of looking at the world. And it's only one way of looking at the world. And I don't feel like it's the, it's the way that I want to be looking at the world. I don't feel from my experience that we're all separate and that I have to look out for myself and they have to look out for themselves. I, I feel that we are completely, whether we like it or not, interconnected into a web of life. We're part of a web. And so what I emit out is going to go through the web. And if there are enough people emitting a different consciousness instead of this regurgitated uh, thing from our, our subconscious and unconscious that we keep on doing because that's, that's how we are educated, it's, 
it's time to start to consciously shift that. And that's why I feel that many of us are drawn to meditation, to yogic practices, to chanting, to dancing, to walking out in nature, um, you know, doing goddess practices, um, spiritual practices. It's because we know somewhere in our bones that it is really important to start to shift our awareness and consciousness. So Nicholas says, the Esalen Institute, Omega Institute, and the Garrison Institute all set a healthy tone, but it is difficult to build closely connected social communities with them. The USA is an individual, individualistic ethos that they are all set in. Yeah, that's, that's you know, and it's, it's the individual ethos. There is a lot of beauty in that. And at the same time, it's, it's on its own, it, it becomes um, a dead end, especially when it's integrated into this, um, the winner takes all mentality, right? You know, because I feel that, that part of um, what I talk about in the title of this talk, Passion, Respect, and Abundance, respect is about acknowledging individuality, acknowledging that each being has the right and the space to exist as they are, you know, including yourself, including the trees that are outside, including the sky, the water, your neighbor, you know, the, 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 the dog, including including the people I, you know, Sherry, I, I, I remember talking with some of the homeless people out on the beach in Venice and um, listening to them. And some of them were amazing. Many of them actually were amazing musicians and artists. And um, this, you know, either with drugs, alcohol, or... Um, mental illness, many of them couldn't function within the really highly regulated um, music industry. But I remember it like sitting in on these music jams that they would do and, and, and um, it was amazing. It was amazing and, and it was completely mad, you know. Um, how do we take these differences and, and be able to, to have the respect and the compassion necessary to, to knit together a different kind of community than the ones that we know and understand? Um, you know, how do we engage in bringing forth what I feel is almost like an innate um, sense of, you know, morality and justice that people have. Even with little kids, that there's a sense that we know what's what's good for the others. You know, we, we have a sense of what's wrong and what's good. And um, how do we honor that and nurture that so that it, it's not squashed into something that makes you bad, you know? These are, again, all questions. 
you know, how do we overcome the fear of the other, the fear of not belonging, the fear of being judged to acceptance and, um, and to allow that fire within us, which is the passion part, you know, to come through this fire, this innate fire that we have that connects us with life. If we go back way back when we were kids, remember some of these joyous moments that we had doing something really simple as maybe sticking our hands into the dirt. Um, you know, of seeing a beautiful sunrise or an amazing butterfly those moments of pure wonder and awe, that's passion, that's connected with something in ourselves that, that enlightens, you know, in the true meaning of bringing about this joyous energy of life within us. To really rekindle that and to understand that every single living being, not only humans, every single living being, and I include, you know, stones and, and um, everything in that, every single living being has the right to that passion, to that flame, to feel that. And we can't respect that or see that if we can't respect it and see it within ourselves somehow um you know it's um it's going back to um something i read about the intelligence of the trees and the forest and the trees it doesn't matter what species of trees when they grow together they will help each other because they understand and they share information about bugs that are coming in and um if there is bad weather coming in, they'll, they'll, they'll protect each other and nurture each other because when they can stand close to each other, they can withstand really bad storms much better than if they're standing all by themselves. There is um, an understanding that everything in the ecosystem is nurturing each other. That's what an ecosystem is, you know, how can we get back to thinking in that way, feeling in that way, sensing in that way? Um, you know, coming back into our bodies so that we can really feel what is right relationship in that moment, you know, with ourselves and with each other. How can we do that? And, um, you know, I wanted to, we'll do a short practice. Um, and um, we'll do a short practice. But before that, I, um, I also wanted to, to let you know about um, a free symposium that was organized by my friend and a certified money coach, Susan Schloss. And it's going to be from uh, next Monday, the 7th 
till the 11th. So it's a five-day symposium and there are a bunch of women um, from all sorts of backgrounds and um, experiences who will be talking. Um, I'll be also giving a talk. Uh, it's called Money, Justice, and Spirituality. So you can see um, the bit.ly link. If you go to bit.ly slash money justice, you'll be able to register and sign up. And again, it's for free. And um, I feel that it'll be very, very interesting to listen to and learn from um, and let the questions come up within us by listening to these different people who are talking about what is that confluence, you know, about money, which is something that we still need in this community to be able to survive um, and also to thrive to a certain degree we need a certain amount of money right we need it because of the system that it's set up in and all of these things intersect like we've, we've been talking about wealth and how it's distributed and how it's used and social, economic, political justice, you know, justice within how we treat the land, the waterways, the other living beings. The Arctic is melting right now at such a speed and many countries are trying to rush in to exploit the hell out of it. How do we go from an exploitation mentality into a communal, life-affirming, circular mentality of living together, you know, of protecting our home and ecosystems together? It's, um, it's a big ask, and it's, it's a big ask that, that we, we really need to, to address. So um, I highly recommend that. Um, I think the opening ceremony starts March 7th at 11 a.m. Pacific uh, time and 1 p.m. Eastern time. But if you register, you'll get all the information. Um, so the practice. Okay, the practice. So let's just, you know, because I talk a lot about physical intelligence. So I, I invite you, just for the hell of it, um, to drop down into your body as if you could. Just, just imagine that, you know, from the tower of your mind, you feel like, like you pull a plug in your throat and all that energy drains back down into your body down into your body. Breathing helps a lot too. Breathing in and letting the energy drop down into your body. That's it. And as you breathe, feel like that breath is a beautiful movement of water. And your spine is like kelp, beautiful kelp seaweed, moving with the breath that is like water, gently floating. Your spine is floating 
in the water of your breath. So there's no right or wrong way to do this. So just trust your body and your instincts to let your spine start to unfurl and move. That's it. Softening the palms of your hands and softening the soles of your feet just a little bit more. That's it, yes. Feeling spaciousness. There's huge chakras there. So just letting that relax and open. Beautiful. And then I invite you to feel your skin, the skin on your entire body, softening 5% more. Just let the skin soften 5%. Yes, that's it. Yes. Good. And just imagine, visualize, or feel that through every single pore of your body is a thread, a thread of light moving out and connecting into the world around you. You know, perhaps into the chair in front of you perhaps to the tree that you can see outside your window. Perhaps crystal that's sitting on your altar. Letting your threads of energy sense the connection it has. Okay, and for a moment, Let yourself be breathed by that connection. Receiving their breath. And into that net of connection Feel the energy of the sun, that's it, yes, the warmth of the sun moving through the fibers. God, that's it. And then also feeling the energy of the moon. The moon is a new moon still. Okay. Which means it's sitting right alongside the sun. So feeling her energy. Okay, you don't have to understand it or know it, just open to it. 
beautiful and feeling the earth. There's an amazing amount of magnetic energy that runs through the earth. And that magnetic energy moves and dances. Feeling that energy in your own way. Just opening to it. Maybe you feel nothing. Maybe you'll feel something. Just opening to that possibility. Beautiful. Good. And then receiving. Just first of all, sending out blessings and gratitude through your pores. Just gratitude and blessings. Thank you. Thank you and I bless you. Thank you. And then receiving that back. Receiving the blessings and the gratitude of all the lives and energies around you coming back in. Beautiful. And then I invite you to bring yourself mm -hmm, back if your eyes are closed, opening your eyes. Beautiful. It's so important to come back into connection with the circle of life. <clears throat> As one of my teachers used to say, coming back to your senses. Coming back because we try to figure out too many things with our heads and coming back to that connection with intelligence that is way beyond our single intelligence. Nicholas says, the world of angels that is a dormant potential within our humanity. Yes, maybe it's the, however you might want to call it, yes, there is a dormant potential within all life, I feel you know, sort of like the seed that's in the earth that with the right combination of things can grow and flower and give and then exchange its energies. The flower that opens that enables the bees to make honey that then creates food for the bear and so on and so forth. You know, there is a circular intelligence at work in this world. So thank you so much for joining in today. And um, for those of you who are new to the kind of stuff I do, I have a free gift offering for you. It's called the Empowered Grounding Maneuver.
And it's a grounding maneuver that I use all the time to come back in so that I can open to that innate connection with the bigger intelligence of life. So if you go to the bit.ly forward slash empowered grounding, um, so it's a, it's a free offering from me to you. And again, I thank you. Um, thank you for participating. And I encourage you to have these conversations, you know, with your, yourself, with your friends, in an open-hearted way to start to see, you know, sometimes we're too focused on getting the answer, but perhaps, perhaps to bringing the focus back to, to, to opening, to as Nicholas says, to dormant potential, opening to possibility, opening to uncovering a connection with intelligence and knowing that we have not yet connected with. So thank you so much again, and I hope this was useful or enjoyable to you, and it was very useful and enjoyable for me. So thank you and blessings, and see you soon. Bye-bye.